You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. What I want to do, this is part of our culture here at Freedom House, because what we're saying is we're not just a local church, but we're also a missional church in which the nations, we've received anointing for the purpose of the nation. Sometimes, especially in your charismatic Pentecostals, we oftentimes uh, don't investigate why God gives us graces and gives us anointings. And, and I believe that's uh, you know one of the, the things that can be within the church that is unexplored. And I believe Jesus actually investigated. This is why there was a woman who came up and touched him. He felt power go. And what is the first thing he did? Who touched me? And he began to investigate why that power left him. And so, you know, the apostle Paul himself says, by the grace that was given to me, I labored all the more abundantly cooperating with that grace. And so there can be a grace, but we need to explore what is the purpose of that grace? Just as there are diversity of giftings, but what kind of gifting? What does that particular gifting do? What does that anointing do? Uh, I remember even amongst the old school, the 10 evangelists back in the 1950s you would hear stories about how certain evangelists would have certain graces anointings for certain type of sicknesses and diseases one would have uh, you know a gift or a grace to pull people up out of wheelchairs but they had no success with blind eyes another minister would have a gift for blind eyes but they couldn't remove cripples so there are diversity of giftings anointings for even various types of operations within sickness and disease and so you know sometimes we just think universally that it's a one key fits all no actually there are different keys and God will give you a gift he'll give you a grace and so we need to be spiritually mindful what is it that it does and so obviously is a is a missionary going to the nations of the world we've seen the power of demonstration I'm always been one of those investigating you know okay what does this grace do and so we've always seen deliverance, obviously. We've always seen people get free. Uh, inner healing comes to the hearts of people. And so we've seen the activity of God. And what I want to uh, stir your hearts to is with us as a church, with the nations as our inheritance, begin to look at the ministry with fresh eyeballs again of what I've called the ministry of first entrance. This is what Jesus always did universally as it's a command that he gave his disciples also. And so with the ministry of first entrance, we see this first in Capernaum, in a synagogue in his own hometown. So in the book of Mark chapter one, or Mark chapter uno, <laughs> verse 21 to 28, <laughs> it says this, they went to Capernaum, say Capernaum. Capernaum. So notice he comes to Capernaum. And it says, and when it was the Sabbath came, which he did something illegal. How dare you work on the Sabbath, work miracles. It says Jesus went into the synagogue. And what did he do? He began to teach. And it says the people were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught them as one who had authority. In other words, his teaching was life-giving. It wasn't dry, dead, and just simply intellectual. It was kind of like teacher Chan. It was life-giving. And it says the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. And it says just then, say just then. So he's under this teaching anointing. It's not even a strong spitting preaching anointing. It's just teaching the Bible. Come on, are you here? Sometimes we think you got to preach until you're spitting. 
in order to get the anointing. Come on, you've got to work it up and stir it up and get everybody into an emotional frenzy. No, that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus, faith cometh by hearing, hearing the word of God. So he's teaching the word of God to provoke faith in the hearts of the people. And so we see just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed or demonized by an impure or an unclean spirit. Notice this cried out. So notice that Jesus, who is the anointed one, when the anointing is manifest in the spirit world, spirits cannot stand the anointing because the anointing breaks the yoke. So this is the reason why when, if you are in proximity, you are in the synagogue, people began to react. And this is the messy mark. This is the messy part of the gospel. And this is why in a well-manicured, cultured Christian civilization, they shy away from this type of activity because this is where dirty diapers are at. And we don't like dirty diaper ministry. And so you just have to be content that, okay, is this what the grace is for? And have to work through those things in order to get what God wants done and cooperate with that. And everyone says, it says, just then a man in there possessed by an unclean spirit cried out, what do you want with us? Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Jesus, of course, said, shut up. And notice, he said uh, sternly, come out of him. Notice Jesus didn't have conversations with devils. He gave commands. That will preach right there. He gives commands, not conversations. Don't have conversations. You just give commands. Be quiet. That's a lower level of faith in which you feel like you have to get certain information from demons. You don't have to get information from demons. You get information from the Holy Ghost. Yes. Amen. In fact, I think some preachers need to get some insight and some revelation that you actually communicating with it is actually illegal. The only right way by which you get information and the only authorized ways is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. When you start having an appetite to get information from spirits, uh, you're treading on uh, in shallow waters there. It's illegal. Amen. I'd rather be get my information from a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, the gifts of the spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, not a gift of a spirit manifesting in front of me. That's an unclean spirit. Come on. Are you here? There's a lot of charismatic chaos that's going on that's illegal, and, it's, and this is the reason why I believe actually in the evangelical church and those who are more mainline, they would love to come into uh, to the charismatic things, but there's so much nonsense that's going on in the name of God that's completely illegal. They're like, I want nothing to do with this. And rightfully so, I understand that. Some of the things that I see that's being done in the name of God, I'm like, that's not God, that's mixture, okay? And that's totally illegal. And, uh, you know, the level of mixture, some there's more mixture than other, but we have to become accurate in the Holy Ghost. And we see Jesus was accurate in the spirit of God. And what does he do? He says, be quiet. He said sternly. Why did he do it sternly? Because that was an expression of the authority that he carried. It wasn't just that he was stern on a psychological level. He was stern in the spirit. He was stern by the anointing because this was a release of the authority of God in his life. And it, it, it says they're all amazed. Oh, excuse me, a new teaching. Uh, the people said, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives conversations. No, he even gives orders to unclean spirits and they obey him. And then notice this, it says news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. When you operate in what I would term uh, dirty diaper ministry, news will spread. Good as well as you'll become controversial. And you have to make a determination. Do you follow the Bible 
or do you just follow Christian culture? And you always have a decision what you want to follow. And especially coming from Guadalajara, which is a Catholic nation, there are lots of costumes and culture and not enough cloaks and kingdom. And in the church today, you have to decide what kind of Christianity you want. Do you want costumes and culture or do you want cloaks? Speaking of the anointing, cloaks that come upon people and the kingdom of God. You always got to make a decision between those two things. Amen. And we always want to be a proponent of those things that are with cloaks and with kingdom. And everyone says. So news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now. We also see this. So this is what happened. This was his ministry of first entrance. When he entered into a synagogue, boom, things began to happen. The power of God was made manifest, was uh, 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 happening. The second one is at Simon and Andrew's home. Here's what it says. As soon as they left the synagogue. So there was the ministry of first entrance in the synagogue. And notice that they're going to James and John to the homes of Simon and Andrew. And notice what it says. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. And notice this, that the fever left her. And notice this, once she was set free in this house, this was a home meeting. This was a connect group, if you will. So he goes from the church, the synagogue. Now he has a home or a connect meeting. And the ministry of first entrance happens there. What does he do? By the anointing, he lifts up this uh, mother-in-law, and she gets set free from it. And notice what happens. She begins to serve. Usually, the fruit of your freedom is wanting to be expressed in serving in the house of God. Amen. This is why people, once they're set free, they're like, what can I do to serve God? It's a natural corresponding fruit or a reaction to people being set free. I want to serve him who set me free. And everyone says, amen. Amen. These are the greatest workers in the house of God. You know, sometimes we're always trying to, you know, twist people's arm in order to serve, but they never had an encounter with Christ. You never have to sit there and twist the arms of people who've already been set free. In fact, there's one account in which Jesus set a demonized man free and he begged to follow them. And the Bible says that Jesus said, no, go testify in Decapolis into the 10 cities in which he went. And he had to shoo him away. Okay, so when you operate and you set people free, listen, they will want to serve in the house of God. Come on. Are you here? And everybody in the dream team says (laughs) a plug for the dream team. There you go. Woohoo! All right. Uh, It says that evening, say that evening. So this is after the house meeting. This is after the connect group that evening after sunset. They have another one. And notice people brought to Jesus all the sick and demonized. Why did they do it? Because faith cometh by hearing. They heard what Jesus did in the synagogue. I can imagine as they're leaving the synagogue and they all go out to lunch and they go to Carl's Jr.'s or, you know, Pizza My Heart or Betty Burger's and they're eating. Did you see what happened in church today? Whoa, that was a wild meeting. Jesus was just sitting there teaching just and trying to have a nice Bible study. And all of a sudden a guy starts screaming out. Ah, what do you want to do with me? Did you see that? I hope they got it on video. That was really wild. Come on here. Check it out. I got it on social media. Here you go. Boom. Check this out. Right. What happened? It began to spread. It began to flow. People, people began to hear. That's the reason why people came. Notice the reason why people came is because they were hungry. They were hungry. They met conditions. So we see here, it says that the whole town gathered at the door. 
And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Say he healed. This is ministry of first entrance. This is the ministry of first entrance. He also, say he also. I know you may not like this part of ministry, but what does it say? He drove out just a few demons because there wasn't that many there. No, it says many demons. And I want you to take into consideration this was in India. This wasn't in some, you know, lawless or uh, uh, false religious culture. This was Jews. These were law-abiding Jews following the law of Moses to the best of their ability, meeting in the synagogue. So if there's anybody, any culture that's going to be clean of demon power, certainly it's going to be Jews. And if they had demon powers, how much more in our American Christian culture are we sanctified from demon power? I'm telling you as a preacher, I've been all around the nation and certainly there are more demon activity in certain nations due to certain apparatuses I'm not going to get into. But sometimes we think here in America, we don't. We in increasingly increasingly with what's going on even in the political world is an unleashing of demon power over our nation like never before. Some of the things that are happening in the schools, what's being advocated, what's being legislated with different types of lifestyles that are now being legislated that are okay is opening up the door through a political systems that is authorizing it. And it's leading to the total debasement of our nation. And if you, we cannot as a nation continue to preach our serpy and sappy messages and expect it to change this generation. We need the power of God. And if you haven't figured that out, your head is in the sand. And listen, the power of God, the anointing of God can set this generation free. But it takes a going back to the Bible, not going back to our denomination, not going back to our traditions, not going back to the way church used to be. We need this messy gospel and its preaching in the churches across this nation. Okay. I'll leave it there. Hallelujah. Says he also drove out many demons, but he would not let demons speak because they knew who he was. Notice there was a ministry of first entrance, not just in the synagogue, not just in the home, but in nearby villages and towns. This was his protocol. This was his principle. It says this in Mark chapter 1, 35 to 38, very early in the morning. Say very early in the morning. So notice he has a successful ministry the day before. Now it's the following morning. It says, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house, went off to what? A solitary place where he prayed. Why? He wanted to find out what's next, Father. What's next steps? What's the next process? He says, Jesus got up, left the house, a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, look, everyone is looking for you. In other words, Jesus became very popular at this time. How many know when you set people free? It happened at the synagogue. It happened in a home. If I need a microphone, just let me know. Uh, a, a home as well as in the evening, there was this meeting that was there. How many know that when you set people free, you will become very famous because you are giving answers to people? Come on. Are you here? 
So, so Simon and his companions went to look for him. They're saying, everyone is looking for you. It continues on. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. Now, notice that Jesus did not camp out in his success. Sometimes what happens in ministry, we get so comfortable in our successes or we get so comfortable in our culture or we become so comfortable in our lifestyle that we're not willing to become uncomfortable in the go. Did you hear what I said? Test, test, one, two, three. Am I on? Can you hear me okay? All right. Up a little bit louder so I can hear myself. I don't hear myself. Test, louder, louder. Okay, there we go. So what happens is says, let us go somewhere else to the nearby village. And listen, it can be very easy to camp out where people are enthroning you through praises. You've had all the success and you camp out. I have found this as a preacher that when everybody's applauding you, you usually want to stay where the applause is at. But you cannot be comfortable in the applause of men. You have to only become uncomfortable and be comfortable in the call of God. Okay. Be uncomfortable when the applause of men comes. And I like what the mother of Oral Roberts said. She said, Oral, always stay small in your own eyes. Very good advice, knowing, and she prophetically said this even while he was much younger. She must have prophetically known that Oral Roberts would come into greatness. Oral, always stay small in your own eyes. In other words, always be humble. Hear Jesus. This is probably why he needed to pray early in the morning, because when the father said, I need you to go somewhere else, his soul probably said, but can I camp out a little bit longer? I'm enjoying ministry. We just got a breakthrough. Can I take a breath? You mean I got to go out and cast more devils out and I got to heal more sick and endeavor and to labor in this ministry. He did not become comfortable in his success. You only become comfortable in hearing and moving out in faith. This is the part where we're sojourners. We're simply ambassadors. We're sent from another place. You're American by, 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 by culture, but we are Christians by virtue of where we come from. Come on, are you here? And so we have to become comfortable with the purpose of God. And everyone says, we see the ministry of first entrance is that he went throughout Galilee. It says, so he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues. Notice this and say, and here's the part you may not like and driving out demons. So this was normal Jesus activity. Come on. Are you here? Sometimes we don't read that. We just go. He went about preaching. He went about teaching. He went about doing good. Yeah, but what kind of good? Well, he, you know, he, he, he you know, gave to the poor, you know. <laughs> he went to go visit people in prison, you know, and we quote that scripture. Actually, I don't find out where Jesus visited anybody in prison. In fact, when he had an opportunity to visit somebody in prison, we actually know he didn't. That was John the Baptist. So put that in your theological pipe and smoke that one. Am I right? Go and visit those. Well, what about John? No, go tell him that. <laughs> he didn't visit him. He had an opportunity. This is his cousin. Didn't visit him. How's that work? This is a major operation of Jesus. 
This doesn't say that he went throughout Galilee preaching in their synagogues and then going into, you know, green rooms or back counseling rooms and doing things in private, delivering them. This was something that was very public. It was out there. This is the messy part of ministry. And this is the things that as I've been in the nations of the world. I'm telling you, as we've come back to America, we become so culture that we miss kingdom. It's important that we return to kingdom and not go get wrapped up in our culture. Come on, are you here? That's where virtue flow. Virtue does not flow from your culture. Virtue flows from the kingdom. Are you here? And you have to determine what is it that you draw upon. Some people are just cultural Christians, but they're not kingdom Christians. And you make a determination what you're hungry for. I don't know about you, but I'm hungry for the kingdom. I'm hungry for him. Okay? Culture, all these things, learn of these things, admire them, but it does not take predominance in our spiritual life. And everyone says, number five, he was called to all of Israel. So it wasn't just through the boundaries or the borders of Galilee. This was throughout all of Israel and Jesus through exploration. He understood according to the scripture, he was called to the lost sheep of Israel. This is what we find out here in Matthew chapter 15, verse 22 to 24. 22, the 24. Mm, not, not bad, huh? All right. It says a Canaanite woman. Notice it's not a Jewish woman. Okay, this is important. And from that vicinity came to him, notice crying out, Lord, son of David. Notice that as a Canaanite woman, not a Jewish woman, she's acknowledging him in his position of authority as the son of David. But even though she acknowledges and she meets the condition, Jesus never ministers to her because he knows who he's called to. Right? So it was contained. It wasn't just everybody who was hungry. It's those who are of the house of Israel. Now notice what happens. He said, have mercy on me. My daughter is demonized and suffering terribly. Jesus didn't answer her word. So he ignores her. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. So notice this is a woman that really wants ministry. How many, you know, sometimes as pastors, we're looking for Canaanite women in the house of God. Come on, are you here? And here Jesus has this woman in the house of God, so to speak. And yet he's ignoring her. Notice the woman wasn't offended. And then notice, uh, I was only, here's what Jesus says. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. So notice that the anointing, he knew that it's for certain people that he's called to. But here's the beautiful thing. That before Jesus left, he commissioned his disciples. You know what? You're not just called to the lost sheep of Israel. You're called to go into all the world. So that's why I want you, even though you're part of a small community called Santa Cruz here on the west coast of California, make no mistake about it. Santa Cruz is not your only stomping grounds. The earth is our stomping ground. Every nation that I go into. And it's usually at the first service when I have during times of worship in which I could be in a suit on a dirt floor in some rural place, or it may be a place in which it's concrete, no nice padding like we have here. Usually during worship, the first thing that I do is I begin to bend down and just worship. It becomes holy ground right there before we enter into battle. Always. Always. Why? Because the nations are ours. It's a commitment to Christ. 
that if you sent me the things that Jesus did where he was sent, where the disciples themselves, the apostles were sent, what you did through them, you certainly can do it today. Because, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You go from holy ground to battleground. Always. And everyone says. So we see that he was only called to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, the ministry of first entrance isn't reserved for Jesus only, as I mentioned. It was a command. Say command. Not a suggestion. I know we live in a democratic society here in America, but yes, we do live according to commands if you're a Christian. And it says this with regards to his disciples. He said to them, if you feel like it, go into all the world. No, it's a command. He said, go into all the world, which means Jesus expected that his disciples to be very well cultured. Why? Because they would be bumping into different culture, but they would need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit on how to navigate through culture. You see, there are minefields and the Holy Spirit will give you wisdom on how to operate in different cultures. The Holy Spirit will give you wisdom. For example, I was saying to Itzel, I said, I love the Hispanic culture. I love the Mexican culture. Uh, to me, it was very much like the Filipino cultures. Both cultures are what I would call pastoral cultures. They're very community. And, and you're just, you're, I, I don't know, but it just seems like they have the ability to, uh, to yank on my heart cords. Like I'm just, because they're so loving and her family and they're accommodating. It's like every two minutes, your dad is saying, is there anything I can do for you, pastor? Is there anything I can do for you? Is it, and they're just always right there to serve a very pastoral culture. And so there are places around the earth outside of sleepy little Santa Cruz in which people are hungry for the power of God. And God's looking at us saying, who will go? That clarion call, that call, who will go for us is still beckoning. I'll go. Provided, of course, it's within this certain culture and this certain lifestyle and a benchmark that's being met. No, of course, that shouldn't be it. But I think sometimes we vet it through a certain lifestyle that we want. And everyone says, so it says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Say, and these signs. So notice this is a ministry of first centuries when you go into the world. This is why my past, my old pastor always said this, and it's true. The anointing is in the go. Go into all the world and these signs will follow. The problem is we want signs to follow us without going. Or we don't like the inconvenience of making difficult decisions to get out of our comfort zone in, in the go. But we just want the comfort of that anointing to come upon us. Pastor, just lay your hands on me. Let me fall down on the ground. Let me jolt a little bit and feel the anointing. Instead of submit to the purpose of that anointing. And we live in a charismatic culture here in America in which we just want to feel the anointing, but we don't want to lay hold of the purpose of that anointing. He gives you anointing is for a purpose. And listen, I love it when the Holy Ghost comes on me and I love it when there are those special times in here in which the power of the Holy Spirit, there are those refreshings. The Bible says in the book of Acts, refreshings that will come from the presence of the Lord. There are times in which he just wants to knock you out and, and just bless you. 
and you get drunk in the Holy Ghost and you're having a good old time. I love those things. But if we just camp out and just the Holy Ghost is my, you know, kind of my, you know, my person who gives me my jolt without submitting to his purpose of the reason why that anointing's coming upon you, then we fall short of the purpose of God. Come on, are you here? So you have both. You have the refreshings, but the refreshings is for the purpose. Once you're refreshed, you got to go somewhere. You got to do something. You got to share it, not keep it to yourself. Staying in the four walls of the church. He gives it to you freely. You've received. I receive refreshing. Hallelujah. But yeah, but are you giving it to anybody? Freely you've received, freely given. Who are you giving it to? So the more you tell me about how you're so refreshed, well, what are you doing with your refreshing? Are you like the Dead Sea? Right. Water comes in, but there's no outlet. And so it becomes dead. Nothing can live inside of it. And some of us as Christians are like the Dead Sea. We collect anointings, but there's no outlet for it. Mm, that was Holy Ghost. First service didn't even get that one. Come on. Are you here? You still love your pastor? OK, good. It's good to be back, really. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They'll do what? It's the very first one. It doesn't just say they'll visit people in prison. I don't don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm saying, this is what Jesus said. This is his ministry of first interest. The first thing they'll do is drive out the enemy from people, set them free. This isn't done. This wasn't done, you know, in private. This is something that was very messy, dirty diapers out in public. And we see this is the ministry of first entrance. They'll drive out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and notice what happens. They will get well. So this is what he told us to do, that when you enter, you go into the world. This is what I want you to do. It's the ministry of first entrance. I am the one who did it by which you followed me, and you saw me do that throughout Israel throughout Capernaum, throughout the nearby villages, throughout Galilee, through all of Israel. And just as I did that, now I'm opening up. I'm giving to you a greater measure of purpose to go into all the world. Come on. This is why even Peter almost missed it. He's sitting there stuck in Jerusalem, and God has to knock him into a trance and show him a sheet coming down just to go over to Cornelius, who's a Gentile. He's like, no, Lord, I'm not going over there. I'm a Jew. Salvation's only for the Jews. I mean, hello, D Peter, do you remember him saying this? Hello. And so that's reserved for us. The nations are ours. And everyone says. It says this in Luke chapter 10. Diez. Verse ocho to nueve. And it says. <laughs> it says when you enter, say enter. This is where I get it. ministry of first entrance right here. When you enter, don't just do a bunch of good humanitarian works. And again, there's nothing wrong with all those things. But if you want to do it Jesus style, let's read what the Bible says. And let's actually believe what the Bible says. Rather than creating a theology of unbelief, that's been a tradition that's passed down to us. When you enter a town and, and notice this. Enter a town and this and are welcomed. Yeah. Notice conditions are meant. Why? Because when there's a welcoming, there's a receiving not of you as the vessel, but as the vessel that's carrying the anointing. Sometimes we and I said this in the first service that sometimes we're trying to disciple people who don't want to be discipled. Because they never are welcoming. 
And sometimes what happens is we want a move of God, but the move of God has conditions that have to be, uh, uh, be met. How many know Jesus wanted a move of God in his own hometown, but didn't get one? But yet he had it in other places. Come on, are you here? This is why, whoa, you know, you, you, we reach out in Santa Cruz. We do what we know to build the house of God, build the move of God, build these things of what Jesus, but then also understand that we also have the nations of the world. Come on, are you here? And so it's where there is hunger that is at. This is why our job in this community is to do what? Find where there are hungry people and bring them to the reality. One of the things I was telling Itzel, as well as in first service, is I was shocked with the level of hunger with the young people that were there. Just like here, I believe they're just people that are looking for the real. They looked at the church. They see the traditions. They see it almost as a racket. They're like, there's no life that's there. When we were there, I was shocked, particularly at, at Pastor Omar's, at the midweek service that was there. These young people would come up, and I'm telling you, I mean, the Holy Ghost would slay them as dead men. You know, that's a term that during the Great Awakenings, preachers would use. They were men were slayed like dead men. I mean, the power of God would come upon them. They'd be weeping on the ground. The Holy Ghost would they were do. Holy Ghost was doing operations and surgeries on people. We would grab people and just pull them and they would just break under the anointing. They begin to weep as the Holy Spirit brought healing to the brokenhearted. I'm sure many of them didn't even know what was going on. You can kind of see like many of them are like, whoa, other people that came forward saw what was happening to their peers and their friends. And they were kind of shocked by it. And then boom, the Holy Ghost would hit them. And this became a sign that made them wonder. <laughs> you say, why would God do that? I don't know. But we get the opportunity to move into it. Come on. Are you here? Signs and wonders as a witness. And listen, they'll always remember that. It becomes life-defining moments at that time. And so many of them were receiving, and they're young ones that were there. And I believe just like in this nation too, you know, as bad as it may look, listen, this is the reason why with the struggles that are happening in our nation with the young people, they want the real. This is why there has to be a fundamental revamping of the way we do church. Come on, that we can meet the needs of people like this because they're looking. And the, the direction that our nation is going, it's looking pretty bleak. But this is an opportunity for the church. This is an opportunity for the gospel. This is an opportunity for good. Please don't be one of those Christians that are cultural Christians that you emphasize. and go, oh, my God, I can't believe Jesus come back. The disciples weren't like, oh, Jesus, come back. I believe in a philosophy, occupy till he returns. Some people, they just want to go high. Oh, the world's getting evil. Yeah, so you get to live in this time. You get to break the powers of the enemies. I mean, I don't know about you, but at the end of the age, when I enter into heaven, I want everybody to say, my goodness, you lived during those times during COVID when nations were shut down. What did you do? Well, I was hiding because I was scared. You did what? You were scared? This was an opportunity. You missed it. I know. I'm sorry. I'll be like, I was there. Nations were shutting down, but I was blasting them open. I'm going anyways. I was ministering. People were being demonized. 
as this sickness was plaguing people, it was also spiritual, and people were getting set free from suicide and anxiety, and I was in the thick of it. Yeah! But what did you do? I was scared. Saving up all my money in case the end of the world comes. Praying, oh, Jesus, come back. We have a theology of fear with our eschatology. Okay. Anyways, I'll just leave that there. And you still love me? You love me online? Hallelujah. (laughs) Notice when you enter a town, our welcome, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come. What near you? Number two, we see this with the disciples as well as Philip. Philip was an evangelist. Okay. What does this mean? That yes, even evangelists, when you get people saved, there should be the ministry of first entrance. Okay. What does the scripture say? Those who had been scattered, say scattered. This was from Jerusalem. Of course, there was persecution. And notice that this church did not get in fear because of persecution. By the fruit of what's preached, it says they went scattered preaching. Usually, if there's fear that comes against the church, it usually muzzles them. It usually shuts them up. So we see that they're very objective of, okay, there's, you know, we're going to run. Okay, in wisdom, we're going to run, but we're not going to run out of fear. We're going to run out of faith because we know where it's going and we're going to go preaching. So you can tell that the scattering wasn't due to fear. It was moving out in faith. Okay, so those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. That's how you know that they were like, okay, we're going, we're leaving, but we're going to go preaching. And it says. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. So what did he proclaim? He proclaimed Christ. When the crowds heard Philip and say, and I didn't make this up, saw the signs he performed. It says they all played close attention to what he said. Why did they play close attention? Because he was good at his, in his apologetics. Was it good because of whatever these other reasons that may be noted? No, they all paid close attention to what he said for with shrieks. Say shrieks. Remember the synagogue Jesus was in in Mark chapter one that we just read with shrieks. It shrieks. Unclean spirits came out of just a few. No, I just got to put that in there. Let's let's make this plain. It says out of many. And many who were paralyzed are lame. So it seems like he had a specific gift or a grace for those who are palsied. Okay. So it says, for with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many. And many who are paralyzed are lame were healed. And notice this. So there was great joy in the city. And as I've always said before, the reason why there was great joy in the city is when you get rid of the demons. Guess what? <laughs> all your depression goes, all your anxiety goes, all of your, your thoughts of suicide, all those things in which people are tormented with go. Here's the beautiful thing. From this point on, we see that there additionally, there was the ministry, of the apostles that went in to get people empowered. So we see the evangelist gets them saved. And then we see he in the ministry of first entrance, people are set free by the power of the Holy. So they're saved, they're delivered. And then the apostles come in and bring empowerment to them. So we kind of see somewhat of a general principle that's fouled, not to be rigid, but we just see that this is the flow 
of the Spirit of God, bringing a process into this church that's going to be established here in this area of Samaria. And everyone says, so this is the ministry of first entrance that we see with Philip. Number three, we see this with the Apostle Paul. It says, uh, and let me just give some context here, here in Acts chapter 28, they're shipwrecked. I believe it was Malta in which they're shipwrecked. And here is what happens on that island in which they were shipwrecked, which means that when you feel like there are times and seasons within your life in which you feel shipwrecked, look as an opportunity for ministry. Some people get so preoccupied with the shipwreck that I can't believe this happened. They go into complaining mode and they miss ministry time. Some of you will get that by next week. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. So no, this is a politician. He welcomed us to his home. He what? Welcomed us. So this is the reason why there was a move of the spirit. Why? Because they were welcoming. They showed honor. Again, they met the conditions for a move of the spirit. It says, he welcomed us to his home and showed us generous, say generous, hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came. So notice he has a personal breakthrough in a home ministry of first entrance. And then he has a ministry, uh, a ministry of first entrance with regards to the whole island. So he gets a breakthrough in a house and then he gets a breakthrough in the whole island. So do you see how it blows out? Okay. All for the glory of God. It says this. Uh, when this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. And then notice this. Notice what the fruit of this is. They honored us in many ways. And when we were all ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. Jesus, excuse me, Paul, even in a shipwreck, headed somewhere, okay? He himself takes an opportunity to engage in the ministry of first entrance. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. I uh, did not come to you with eloquence. Notice what it says when I came to you. So what is this? The first time I had an engagement with you. Ministry of first entrance. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Goes on down to verse 4. My message, what message? The message of Christ, as well as the ministry of first entrance when he first came to them. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of spirit's power, of the spirit's power. So notice we see here, excuse me. We see here, one moment. Thank you. We see here the ministry of first entrance with the disciples. We see it with Philip as well as the apostle Paul. And so as we're engaging the nations, I had, in fact, is Emily here? Emily, not here. Okay. Emily asked me, Emily Bucci, she asked me an interesting question a couple of weeks ago. She goes, pastor, when you go overseas, are you like praying, Lord, what message? And I said, no, I don't actually. 
And I went to explain to her that whenever I go to a nation, it's always the ministry of first entrance. Now, within that, whether it's faith, whether it's healing, provoking, bringing people to salvation, it's that I have creative liberty, but I'm always doing the ministry of first entrance. In other words, I'm not going to go, Lord, do you want me to teach about aliens from the book of Genesis? I'm always amazed when preachers go overseas. I'm like, why are you preaching that message? That's weird. It's like God is sending you and you're preaching about the pyramids. Like what? Hello. And that you got people that need to be set free and you're teaching some goofy, weird doctrine. Well, I was praying about the Lord led me to do that. Hello. Ministry of first entrance. You know, there are people that are hungry for truth that you forgot in last week's sermon. You're like, oh, yeah, that was good. Well, what was preached? Well, I don't remember. But people will travel three days. They'll travel three hours in order to be in a meeting to take down notes, to drink in the truth that you took for granted in last week's sermon. And when you have that level of hunger, it draws upon that ministry or that anointing of first entrance. And some of you are actually even well equipped to operate in this ministry, though you may not be, quote unquote, fivefold ministry. Some of you that are here will be equipped to walk in that yourself. Some of you will stay. Some of you will go. But here's the part I want you to understand. This is a mandate for the church. It's not my mandate. It's our mandate. Just as this isn't my church, this is our church. This is the church of Jesus. He is the one that brings about the mandate of God. And everyone says, did you get something out of that? Praise God. I want to take up an an offering today. If you notice, I'm doing it at the end rather than at the beginning Because this is an offering in which it's going to go to missions. Amen. We're a church of missions. And we want to, again, uh, re-engage the nations in missions activity. And so I wanted to read from the book of Philippians. This is the Apostle Paul. In the provoking of your giving. It says, moreover, as you Philippians, and this is the Apostle Paul speaking. As you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance. So in other words, in the infancy of his acquaintance of the gospel, which means when he would have first came there. It says with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. Except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. Notice it's not that I desire your gifts. So what's the motivation of the Apostle Paul? He's understanding that in the kingdom, there's actually a partnership that exists. Between him is a visionary. Okay. And then there's provision. How many know provision is a compound of two words? Provision. Listen to me very carefully. When I went to Guadalajara, you actually went with me. You say, no, I was here in Santa Cruz. No, you provided provision. I would not have been able to go without you, which means you became a partner with me. No, you didn't jump on Valeris airplane and took a trip there. 
but you went with me because you sent me because we became partners. So the Apostle Paul is using this not as a gimmick, but he's understanding that there is actually this relationship of giving and receiving that as you give, you will actually receive because you are looking and saying, this is actually what's important in the heart of God, missions. And here's the beautiful thing. It's not any missions. The Apostle Paul, he says, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel when I set out from Macedonia. What's interesting is actually in Acts chapter 16, verse 9, here we have this statement. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing, begging him, say begging him. How many know that means he's open? That means he's hungry. Come over to Macedonia and help us. Imagine if you live back there, let me ask you this question. If you would have heard about the missionary endeavors of the Apostle Paul, you would know that he isn't just doing that because he's just an ambitious guy. I just got to do missions in order to do it. Collect pulpits to get an income because this is what I do for a living. No, this was actually divine. And I can go into and itself could even tell of dreams and visions and how this all opened up. She's actually from Guadalajara, came over here. This is actually something that's divine. This is our nation. And I really want you to see it as such. And that you have an opportunity to partner, not just in a pastor's ambition, but in something that's part of God's divine providence. I don't know about you, but if I lived during the times of the Apostle Paul, I'd be like, God spoke to you through a vision and you saw a man from Macedonia begging for you to come. I want to help and fund that. What can I do? Come on, are you here? Here's the beautiful thing, whether you're rewarded in this life, you know, sometimes preachers are like, you're, you know, you'll reap, you know, they always emphasize the now in which you'll receive. Actually, that's not the greatest one. The receiving that I want to receive isn't in the now, but it's in the hereafter. Where there is no moth that destroys. There is no thieves that can break in and steal. Where it becomes eternal, not temporal. And certainly he gives in this temporal world. But he also, you need to know, is actually going to reward in the eternal. And so I want you to see it from that perspective. And everyone says. You've been listening to the Freedom House podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like more information about our house, please visit our website, FHUS.org. Thanks again for tuning in. And please consider sharing this podcast with your friends and family. See you next time.